Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and it can be found on page 836 in your pew Bible. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gesenaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Yeah. Thank you, Ms. Elise. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau, and I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. This morning we're beginning a new sermon series. It's called The Rock. Flawed, but faithful. It's a, a series of, about Simon Peter, who I think is one of the most compelling people in the Bible. And the reason I think that is perhaps you, you share this feeling as well. When I read the stories about Peter, I can, I can identify with Peter. Do you ever feel that way? Because Peter, Peter loved Jesus and he wanted to make a difference in this world, but there were times that he was plagued by faithlessness. There were times that he was plagued by his own denials and, and doubts. Here's the point. Here, as, as we start this four-week series, I just I want to give you the, the goal right at the beginning. The goal of this series, the overarching meta-narrative of this series, is to try and help all of us understand that our God exclusively and only uses flawed but faithful people to build his kingdom and change the world. That's what we're going to see. Amen? So, well, you can cry for that. That's all right. You know, uh, It is true. That's all God uses, flawed but faithful people, because that's, that's all God has, <laughs> are flawed but faithful people. Amen? So Peter's story is, in some respects, our story. And we're going to start today by, by trying to understand some of the lessons that we could garner from Peter on the Sea of Galilee. So we're going to look at a couple of instances of, of Peter's interactions with Jesus on the Lake Genesaret or Lake Tiberias or, or the Sea of Galilee. It's three bodies, same body of water, three different names. Peter had been fishing all night in our scripture passage this morning. He'd been fishing all night. He hadn't caught anything. And as dawn breaks, Peter's sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee cleaning his nets because if you don't clean them, they'll start to rot. All he wanted to do was go home and go to bed. After a night full of failure, he just wanted the comfort of his home. But then this itinerant preacher shows up and asks, uh, can I use your boat? 
Listen, never in the history of sermons, before or since, has anyone ever prayed for a shorter sermon than Peter prayed for that morning. (laughs) But the thing is that when Jesus finished his sermon, he wasn't yet finished with Peter. He turned to Peter, he said, let's go out in the water and put down the nets. Let's go fishing. And I love Peter's response when Jesus asked to go fishing. Peter looks at Jesus and says, you know, we've been fishing all night and we didn't catch anything. And I imagine there was a pregnant pause that followed that statement. Peter's looking into the eyes of Jesus, willing Jesus to understand that Peter, not Jesus, was the professional fisherman. And maybe Jesus should leave the fishing to Peter and the preaching to Jesus. And Jesus just kept staring back at him. I love Peter's response. He says, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. But if you say so, I will put down the nets. I hope a little chill went down your spine when I said that. If you say so, I'll do it. What a powerful thing to say to Jesus. If you say so, I will do it. I think most of us want to be the kind of disciples who would consistently state, Jesus, if you say so, I'll do it. And we need that kind of faithfulness because of what else we learn in this story. It's rarely a time when Jesus calls us. It's rarely a time that's convenient. Peter had been fishing all night. He was exhausted. It was not a convenient time. Jesus almost never calls us at a time that's convenient. And he almost always asks us to do something we don't really want to do. Jesus called Peter to do something inconvenient and something uncomfortable. And to his credit, Peter responds by saying, if you say so, I'll do it. My guess is that you have had days like I have sometimes. I've been in my office and working in the church all day long. Oftentimes I'll have to come back that night for a meeting, which I I enjoy this work. I'm not complaining about that. But, you know, when 4.35 o'clock comes around, I'm ready to go home. I've got an 8-year-old son, a 5-year-old daughter. They're still cute. (laughs) I want to see them. I have a wife at home. She is super cute. I want to see her. But then when I'm about to walk out the door, the phone rings or the email chirps. What an annoying sound that is. Amen. Chirp. And sometimes it's, it's like that little flutter of the Holy Spirit awakens inside of me and God's saying, you need to handle this before you go. And, and I'll tell you the truth. There are some days when Jesus calls me at an inconvenient time to do something that's uncomfortable. There are some days that I say no. And the rest of the day, I'm anxious about what I said no to. There are other times when God calls me at an inconvenient time to do something that's uncomfortable, and I'll say yes, and without exception, when I say yes, I am blessed. Jesus wanted to use Peter's boat at an inconvenient time to do something Peter didn't want to do, and Peter said yes, and what happens next? Well, they caught a bunch of fish. Yeah? But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story isn't they caught a bunch of fish. The point of the story is the lesson. The lesson that Peter learned that day on the Sea of Galilee was, if 
You do what Jesus calls you to do. At the time Jesus calls you to do it, your life is going to be abundant. It wasn't about the fish. It was about the lesson. And it's a lesson for all of us. If we do what God calls us to do, when God calls us to do it, our lives, like that boat, will become overflowing. Peter learned that lesson so well that when he got back to shore, the Bible said he left everything to follow Jesus on the adventure of a lifetime. Jesus asked to use Peter's boat. And Peter says yes. And one of the questions that emerges for me from this story is what is the boat you have? What is the boat God wants to use in your life? What's your boat? Maybe... Maybe it's at the intersection of your passion and your talent, the thing you love to do and the thing you're good at doing. Maybe that is the boat God wants to use in your life to help bring glory to His name. But I'm guessing, I'm, I'm pretty sure, in fact, I'm absolutely certain you have a boat that Jesus wants to use. But this would not be Peter's last exchange with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. So I want to turn our attention to a, another experience. One time, uh, Jesus had just fed 5,000 men and their families. And, and uh, Jesus sends the disciples off on a boat across the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus doesn't go with them. He goes up and sits on a mountainside to pray. And in the middle of the night, a storm comes. And the disciples are terrified. So what does Jesus do? He starts to walk to them on the water. Just an interesting fact. The Sea of Galilee is 141 feet deep. But in the first century, people had no idea how deep it was. They just knew it was really deep. And some legends started to emerge about the Sea of Galilee. And one of those legends said that the Sea of Galilee was actually so deep that it had no bottom and that in fact it was a portal into the underworld. And I tell you that to tell you that's why when the disciples saw Jesus walking to them on the water, they thought he was a ghost. The Sea of Galilee was a portal to the underworld and one of them got loose. And that's probably why the first words out of Jesus' mouth as he's walking to them across the the water in the midst of this storm as he shouts out, he says, don't be afraid. By the way, did you know that that is the most prolific statement that God makes in the Bible? God says those words to human beings more than anything else in the entire Bible. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus cries out to him. He says, don't be afraid. He says, it's me. Actually, what he says is, ego I me, which means I am. Don't be afraid, I am. Same words, by the way, that God said to Moses next to the burning bush. When God told Moses to go tell the most powerful man in the world to let go of his free source of labor. Moses said, who should I tell him is sending me? And God says, I am. Ego I me, I am. Jesus says to the disciples in the midst of the storm that night, he says, don't be afraid, I am. And the reason I'm, I'm telling you this right now is because I believe there are probably some people in this room right now who are going through some storms just like the disciples were going through on that night so long ago. You're going through some storms. And I just want to remind you of these two things. First, more than anything else in the entire Bible, God says to you and to me, don't be afraid. And then God tells us why. Don't be afraid because I am. I'm the one who can walk on water. I'm the one who can split the sea. I'm the one who can give you salvation. I'm the one who has already conquered death. So if you're facing a storm today, I just want to remind you of two things. God says, don't be afraid. 
because I am with you. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am. And this is an amazing story. And some people are amazed by this story of Jesus walking on the water because Jesus walked on the water. If I'm really confessing something to you today, that's not the thing that I find so amazing. And it's not because I don't find God to be amazing. It's just, you know, he's God. Of course he can walk on water. Here's what I find to be amazing. It's that a human being sitting in a boat in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake, would see somebody walking on the water and think to himself, that looks like a good idea. I think I'm going to try that. But that's exactly what Peter does. Peter says, Lord, if it really is you, let me come to you. And I don't know if it was an act of extreme lunacy or inspired leadership. And as a leader, I can tell you that sometimes extreme lunacy and inspired leadership are difficult to distinguish between. But I think if you really pressed me, I'd tell you it was an act of inspired leadership because Peter cries out, Lord, if it is you, let me come to you. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter steps out of that boat. Mm. So here's something really important I think we learn on this experience from the Sea of Galilee. With Peter, I think what it teaches us about our lives is this. There are times in our journey with Jesus Christ that Jesus is going to ask to borrow our boat, our talents, our skills, our time, our resources. Sometimes Jesus asks to use our boats and sometimes Jesus asks us to get out of them. God either calls us to use what we've got or leave what we've got, but Jesus always calls. And I just want to point something out. When God calls, there are only two possible answers. We can say yes to God, or we can say no to God. We cannot faithfully tell God to wait. To tell God to wait is the same as telling God no. Here's why. Because God's call on our lives isn't just about what God is calling us to do. It's also about the time frame in which God is calling us to do it. God calls us when the time is right. And if we say anything other than yes, we are saying no. So one way to think about Peter's experience on the water is to ask ourselves, what kind of a disciple am I? Am I the kind that tells God no? Hey, if so, I'm in good company. Eleven of the twelve disciples sat on the boat that night. But it was the yes. It was the yes that started the adventure, church. God calls us to do all manner of things in the course of our lives. And my call may look different than yours. And yours may look different from somebody else's. But did you know that there are some universal callings in this world? For example, Jesus calls all of us to serve him as both Savior and Lord. Jesus calls all of us to grow closer to him through prayer and scripture reading. He calls all of us to engage in Christian community. He calls all of us to participate in the practice of tithing and to regularly sharing his grace and love with the people around us. And when I say to God, you know, God, I'll read my Bible and pray every day starting later. Like when my kids are in school or when they're out of school or when I retire or in that mythical land where things actually begin to slow down. When we tell God we'll be faithful later, we're not saying wait, we're saying no. 
And when we choose not to be part of God's missional activities, when we choose not to grow in the context of small groups, when we choose not to do faith sharing because our lives are so busy, we're telling God, no. When our decisions about our lifestyles prevent us from giving back to the one who gave us breath and life and children and homes and jobs and cars, but no, I'm not going to tithe, even though Jesus commanded us to, I'm saying no to God. And that does not mean God will stop loving us. It means we will miss the adventure. But pastor, what happens if I really, if I see God is calling me, if I feel that God is calling me to do something and I, I end up getting in over my head? Well, Peter has something to say about that to us too, doesn't he? It's fascinating to me that a lot of us, when we remember the story of Peter walking on the water, what we remember is that Peter fell through the waves. I think that tells us actually more about us than it does about Peter's courage or lack thereof. His faith or lack thereof. I think the fact that our inclination is to remember that Peter failed and didn't succeed is part of the justification that we give ourselves about staying in the comfort of our own boats. But there are only two people in history who have ever had the adventure of walking on water, Jesus and Peter. And yeah, Peter fell through the waves eventually. But what happened next is that Jesus rescued him. God's call is going to come. It's going to come at a time that's inconvenient. It's going to be about doing something that's uncomfortable. It will involve us using what we have or walking away from what we have. And when God calls, it's probably going to put us in over our head. But we only have two possible answers. Yes or no. Telling God to wait doesn't work. And if we say no to God, we condemn ourselves to a lifetime's worth of fishless nets. But if we say yes, if we say yes, we begin the adventure of a lifetime. With all of that in mind, I want to turn our attention for the last few moments of our time together, I want to turn our attention away from our individual calling and start talking about some call that God has placed on the lives of a people called Ebenezer. Several months ago, back in January, I relayed to you the findings of a 13-month process of self-discovery here at Ebenezer. It was called Appreciative Inquiry. As a result of this Appreciative Inquiry, we came up with our new mission to transform lives through Jesus Christ as we connect, heal, and bring hope to the world. And out of that mission came a vision of where God is calling us in the future. We're calling it Focus 2025. A few weeks ago, I gave you an update on one of the pieces of that vision, our Transforming Stafford piece of the vision. It's about how we are becoming more deeply involved in the lives of students and teachers in our local school systems. That's an integral part of what Ebenezer Church is called to do over the course of these next several years. But today, I want to turn our attention from the Transforming Stafford to the Transforming Our World part of our vision. I read something this week in Index that told me that the country of Sierra Leone is the eighth poorest country in the world, 180th out of 187. We have a, a strong connection to Sierra Leone uh, through an organization called Helping Children Worldwide. In just a few weeks, we're going to participate in our ninth annual Go for Bo as we are caring uh, for these people and trying to make a difference in that world. 
Uh, part of what the vision talked about for uh, Sierra Leone, what we introduced this vision, uh, Focus 2025, there were two elements related to our transforming the world piece. First, we are going to adopt five villages in the Bow District of Sierra Leone, and we're going to provide those villages with some infrastructure to allow them to have sustainable health care. The second thing we were going to do is that we were going to enact 200 microloans in that community that would help people begin to fund small businesses. These loans were 50 to $100 a piece that enabled people to start having these uh, small businesses. And it's, it's interesting that in the middle of the summer, Helping Children Worldwide called me and they said, Hey, listen... Instead of doing five villages and 200 microloans, what if you bundled the microloans and addressed them to the same five villages that you'll be working with that you're adopting? And I thought, man, that sounds like a pretty good idea. So I took it to our administrative lead team and uh, our lay leaders, and, and they said, yeah, we agree, that sounds like a good strategy. And so I tell you all of that in order to introduce you to our first village that we're going to be partnering with in Sierra Leone. It's called Fengahoon. This is not the last time you're going to hear me talk about Fengahoon Village. So I thought maybe you'd want to learn how to say it with me. Fengahoon. Fengahoon. You want to try that with me? Fengahoon. Yeah, then you put them together. Fengahoon. That's it. You got it. You already got it. Hallelujah. Step one. We've said the name together. So what you see on the screen there is a map of Sierra Leone. Highlighted in red is the Bow District of Sierra Leone. And the red star, the blue star there is the capital city of the Bow District. Bo, the second largest city in the country. Fifteen miles to the northeast of Bo is where the city of Fengahoon is located. Fengahoon Village has 1,300 residents. 1,300 residents. Most of the year, their well does not work. And so they have to travel as far as two miles away to get fresh water. 1,300 people, and there is, as of today, one working bathroom in the Fengahoon village. Some of you think you need more bathrooms in your house. There are four classrooms in their school, a school that is supposed to be serving over 300 school-aged children, which means that more than half of the children in Fengahoon don't get an education. Perhaps... The greatest challenge they face is the challenge of poverty. In the past, when Western churches have wanted to help in places like Sierra Leone in Africa, what has often happened is that well-intentioned people from the West have gone to places in Africa and they've said to them, here's what you need. You need a vending machine. To which the people in the villages say, but we don't have electricity. So I wanted to let you know how we how we figured out some of the things we're going to do in Fengahoon. Helping Children Worldwide, our partner in, in Sierra Leone, has some Sierra Leoneans on staff who went to Fengahoon Village and they did what's called a village map, a map of their needs. So when I start telling you about some of the things that we're going to do in Fengahoon Village, it's not because uh, Ebenezer Church decided to do them. It's not what we want to do in Fengahoon Village. It's what the people in Sierra Leone talking to other Sierra Leoneans decided was the most important thing for them. We're going to do what they need. So about a month from today, I'm going to be in Bo with Tina DeBosier, our Director of Missions and Outreach. And I'm going to visit Fengahoon and meet the village elders there and begin forming relationships as we prepare to meet some of their needs. Well, what are these needs? 
Well, of course, they need water. So Ebenezer United Methodist Church, we're going to give them a deep bore well. What does that mean? It means they're never going to have to walk two miles for water ever again. They need a sewage system. They have one working bathroom, which means that most of the time, the bathroom is actually the edge of the village. Think about what that must look like for the sustainable health of that community. They need a sewage system, and we are going to give them one. Their children need education, but they don't have enough classrooms in their school. So God's people called Ebenezer are going to build them some more classrooms. And now, I know, I know, because there's a part of me that says this. Some of you are sitting there thinking, but we're just giving them a fish. You know that old adage? You can give somebody a fish, you can teach them to fish. I feel like the idea of giving somebody a fish is profoundly underrated, church. If you're hungry and somebody gives you a fish, that's a really good day. But shouldn't we, pastor, shouldn't we also teach people how to fish? Yes. Or in the case of Fengahun, teach them how to farm. See, there there are four main cash crops that grow well in this region of Sierra Leone. And so part of what the team is going to do when we go is we're going to take some soil samples and we're going to analyze them and determine what is the best crop together with the people in Fengahun, what's the best crop for them to grow. And then we're going to help make sure they have the training and we're going to make sure they help to have the, the resources. And we're not just going to give a couple of microloans to this village. Ebenezer Church is going to help infuse an economy into this village so that within three years this village becomes self-sustaining. You see, sometimes God wants to use our boats. And sometimes God wants us to get out of them. And some of you might be saying, well, how can we help? Well, the truth is we have a lot more questions than answers right now. That's part of the reason Tina and I are heading over there. You might say, well, can we give money to this? Oh, rest assured, we will ask in time. (laughs) How can we help? I want to suggest two things. First, If you haven't already signed up to run or sponsor, go for Bo, don't leave this church today before you do that. And secondly, pray. And I feel like sometimes you think that pastors tell people to pray when they don't know what else to tell them, but that's not the case here. I'm inviting you to pray like you've never prayed before for people you've never met before in order for God to do something that God has done over and over and over again before. Change lives. And you know what I think we're going to end up finding, Ebenezer Church? As much as we invest in this community called Fingahoon, I feel like one of the things we're going to find is that we get even more from them than we gave to them. Our God rarely calls when it is convenient. Most of my time in Sierra Leone is going to be in the month of October. Guess what Like our second busiest month of the year in the church is? October. So the Helping Children Worldwide team called and they said, Pastor Rob, we think it'd be a really good thing if you went over there on this trip in October. And I said, oh, I'd love to. But I can't. See, on the Saturday you guys are leaving, I've already committed myself to doing a wedding. They called back the next day and said, that's fine, we'll leave on Sunday. I thought, oh, calls us when it's convenient and God almost never calls us to do something that's comfortable. I've traveled a lot in my life and I have never outside the United States found a bed that will fit this. 
never calls when it's convenient. God never calls us to do something comfortable. And most of the time when God calls, we're going to find ourselves in over our heads. I don't, I don't know how to dig a well. I don't know anything about sewage systems. I can't grow anything. I can't even grow hair. Look. <laughs> but that's what these people need. And so we're going to find a way. Just, just so you know, our last service, we had a guy join. His name is Kai Gebeki. One day I was preaching and I mentioned Sierra Leone and the work we're doing over there. And this guy walked up to me. He said, hey, I've done some work in Sierra Leone. I said, really, what kind of work do you do? He said, I evaluate which of the four major cash crops it makes sense to put in different places. And I looked at God and I said, sometimes you just show off. (laughs) Here's the point. God will call us when it's inconvenient and God will call us to do something uncomfortable and God's going to call us and we're going to get in over our head, but God is not going to leave us and God is not going to forsake us and Christ will rescue us and he will put in our paths exactly what we need to do exactly what he is calling us to do if when he calls, we say yes. This week, Jesus Christ is going to call you to do something. And you have two options. You can say no and enjoy a safe life of crippling boredom. Or we can say yes. And we can join in a great adventure. Which will it be? Will you pray with me? You are so amazing because you you call us at the times that don't make sense to our schedule but make perfect sense from your perspective. You call us to do things we don't want to do but you know we should and will make us joyful. You call us into situations where we find ourselves in over our heads and prove to us that you're never going to let us drown. You send exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. If we're willing to say yes. Thank you for the life of Peter. Flawed, but faithful. And help us, O oh God, to learn the lesson today. Help us to learn to say yes to you and watch as the adventure of a lifetime unfolds. Bless us, O oh God, with this grace to say yes to your calling, not so our lives will be more meaningful and more fulfilling, though absolutely they shall be. Bless us with the grace to say yes so that our lives will bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ in whose name and for whose sake we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.